the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome. You are listening to Hope and Faith Ministry, a broadcast of the historic People's Baptist Church in Boston, New England's oldest African-American church. Hope and Faith Ministry features the inspirational sermons of my father, Dr. Wesley Roberts, senior pastor at People's Baptist Church. We're so glad you're here. Dr. Roberts has a powerful message of hope and love for your life and mine. Now enjoy this broadcast of Hope and Faith Ministry, brought to you from People's Baptist Church of Boston. The title of the message today is The Second Triumphal Gathering. The Second Triumphal Gathering. Palm Sunday is the beginning of Holy Week, the most important week in the history of the world. Over the last 42 years, I have preached on various aspects of the Palm Sunday story here at People's Baptist Church. Today, I want to give you the rest of the story, what I may call Triumphal Entry Part 2. The first triumphal entry recorded for us in the Gospels reminds us of what was. The second recorded in the book of Revelation reminds us of what will be. The Apostle John, imprisoned for his faith on the island of Patmos, was given the opportunity by God to have a vision of what heaven is all about and what was awaiting him and the persecuted Christians of his day, as well as us. In Revelation chapter 7, 9, and 10, he says, After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God, who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Like the first triumphal entry, there are palm branches. There are crowds and cheers. And Jesus is in the center of it all again. But there are some differences. The first crowd was a mixture of believers and unbelievers. The second crowd will be made up of only believers and the angels. The reason the second triumphal gathering will be far superior to the first triumphal entry can be summarized in three statements, or three points. 
First, we will understand the greatness of God and his grace toward us. Many of us have talked to people who have experienced severe grief. We have been compassionate and sensitive. But when we experience a grief like that ourselves, our tone changes. We become softer. Our empathy becomes greater because now we understand what they were going through. It is like that with sin and grace. We use the words, but we don't really understand all that they mean. On that day, we will. At present, there are things we do that are wrong. We measure lives by the teaching of the scriptures and see that we often fail to meet the standard God has set. We love the Lord and we want to please him. But we really do not have any idea of the offensive nature of sin to our holy God. We have not begun to understand how far we have fallen from God's standard. You see, there is a part of us that sees the wrong we do and draws comfort from the fact that others are doing the same thing. We even feel good that we are not as bad as others. But we are missing the point. We are not called to measure our lives by other people. We are called to measure our lives by our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when we see God in his holiness, we will realize our true nature. When we see the greatness of his character, we will understand the depth of our need. This was the experience of everyone who encountered God in the scriptures. The prophet Isaiah describes it best in Isaiah chapter 6, the first five verses. Isaiah said, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were a seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I said, or I cried. I'm ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah was known as a righteous and holy man, yet when he encountered God, he saw the depth of the sin in his life. 
You see, when we see God, there will be no excuses. Comparing ourselves to others will be futile. Not only will we see the holiness of God and understand our sinfulness, but we will see for the first time the depth of God's mercy and grace. Listen to John in verses 11 through 14 of Revelation 7. The angels who stood around the throne knelt in front of it with their faces to the ground. The elders and the four living creatures knelt there with them. Then they worshipped God and said, Amen, praise, glory, wisdom, thanks, honor, power, and strength belong to our God forever and ever. One of the elders asked me, Do you know who these people are that are dressed in white robes? Do you know where they come from? Sir, I answered, you must know. Then he told me, these are the ones who have gone through the great suffering. They have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and have made them white. On that day, we will realize that we stand before the Lord of heaven and earth only by the blood of his precious son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We will realize that it is not due to our efforts, but to his grace. We will understand that we have a mercy that is so wonderful that we could never, never begin to repay him. Only then will we realize the price that was paid for our redemption. Only then will we see what our Savior set aside so that he could save us. Only then will we see the ways that God has worked in our lives to draw us to himself. We will see and we will be overwhelmed. And so we will spend the rest of eternity in gratitude and worship, not because we have to, but because it is the only response. John Newton got it right. Been an amazing grace, he said, when we have been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first began. But secondly, we will be on the other side of our struggles. The struggles of life seem to be getting more intense every day. The people of Ukraine are literally experiencing hell on earth. The death and destruction we see daily in Ukraine boggles the mind, but not just in Ukraine. But everywhere we turn, there are people going through difficulties of one kind or another, suffering. People are struggling with illness, struggling with financial problems, struggling with hunger, struggling with family problems, relationship problems and grief due to the loss of loved ones. 
It is sometimes a real effort putting one foot in front of the other. And that is why this passage is so such an encouragement to us. It reminds us as believers in Christ that our struggles will not go on forever, even though it seems like they will never end. When John wanted to know who these people are in white robes, he's told these are the ones who have gone through the great suffering. Another translation says the great tribulation. These are the ones who have survived the trials of life and have remained faithful even though life was painful and difficult for them. This picture gives us strength and helps us to keep going. It is tough to keep going if you do not see a purpose. I've heard that one of the most devastating punishments in a concentration camp is when the captors make their prisoners do meaningless labor. They might have them move a pile of rocks from one spot to the next and then back again. It is labor without purpose and eventually it eats away at a person's willingness to go on. Life can be like that. We face obstacle after obstacle. We get through one operation or one surgery and another is waiting. We pay off one debt and another makes its claim upon us. We get one child healthy and another gets sick. We cross off one item from our to-do list and add three others. We survive one crisis and another wave of trouble washes over us. I've always wondered why people run marathons. Most know that they have no chance of winning. During the race, they encounter cramps, they battle exhaustion, and at times, dehydration. They spend months punishing and depriving themselves in preparation for the long, exhausting journey of 26 miles. Why? Most will tell you that it is because of the joy and the satisfaction that comes when they cross the finish line. It is not the winning. It is the surviving and conquering that brings joy to them. That description does not inspire me to take up marathon running, but it does help me to understand what it will be like in heaven. We run now for the glory of finishing the course. The Apostle Paul understood that when he wrote Second Timothy chapter, or the, the, his second letter to, to Timothy, but in chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. 
And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Paul does not say it had been easy. It was a fight, but he's still standing. The thing that kept him going, the thing that keeps us going, is knowing that someday we'll stand before the throne of our God and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Then it will be worth it all. On that day, the race will be over. We will have crossed the finish line. And as we run the race of life, we need to keep that day in our minds. But thirdly, we will begin to experience the life we never dared to imagine. In Revelation 7, 15 through 17, John says, And the one who sits on the throne will be present with them. Those people will never be hungry again, and they will never be thirsty again. The sun will not hurt them, and no heat will burn them, because the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of water that give life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And then in Revelation chapter 21, uh, verses 3 and 4, John says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. So do you hear what is being said? There's a coming day when we will no longer hunger and thirst for more. We will no longer battle the forces of nature. There will be no more tornadoes, no more hurricanes, no more earthquakes, no more winter storms, no more mosquitoes or flies. Nature will yield only joy. We will no longer have reason to cry except for joy because there's no more sorrow, no more disappointment, no more devastating losses, no more bullies like Putin. We will never have to bury someone we love again. We will know forgiveness, not only being set free from punishment, but we will also be set free from our memories. The scars will be healed, the guilt will be silenced, the stain will be gone. What a day that will be. There will be no more cancer, no more arthritis, no more Alzheimer's, no more coronavirus. And there will be none of the limitations of getting older. There will be no more frustration, no more disappointment, no more failure. The list could go on and on. But the point is simple. In the coming day, we will be granted the life 
we have always longed for. And it is God himself that has placed this longing in our heart. And someday he will satisfy it. So what do we do in light of these facts? First, we need to ask if heaven will be our destination. Will we be in the crowd that day? Will we be among those who have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb? The Bible says it will be a huge crowd. One translation says a multitude, but it will be an exclusive multitude. Only those who tied their future to what Christ has done for them will be in the crowd. Only those who recognize the need for a Savior and who really trust Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins will be in the crowd. So what do you think? Will you be present that day? If you don't think so or is not sure, or you're not sure, it's not too late. You can surrender your life this very day to Jesus Christ by asking him to come into your life as your Savior from sin and as your Lord. But let me ask all of you listening to me uh, a few more questions. In light of what is heard, how do you define what is important? In light of heaven, how will you deal with difficult times and difficult people? Yes, in light of what is heard, how will you change your approach to your unsaved friends and family members? How do thoughts of heaven affect the choices you make regarding possessions and enjoyments? How will these truths affect your enthusiasm for living? He was just a little fellow. His mother died when he was just a child. His father, in trying to be both mom and dad, had planned a, a picnic. The boy had never been on a picnic, and so they made plans, fixed lunch, and packed the car. Then it was time to go to bed, for the picnic was the next day. But the little boy just could not sleep. He tossed and he turned, but the excitement got to him. Finally, he got out of bed, ran into the room where his father had already fallen asleep and shook him. His father woke up and saw his son. He said to him, son, what are you doing being up? What's the matter? And the boy responded, I can't sleep, dad. The father said, why can't you sleep? In answering, the boy said, Daddy, I'm excited about tomorrow. His father replied, well, son, I'm sure you are, and it's going to be a great day. But it won't be a great day if you don't get some sleep. So why don't you just run back down the hall, get into bed, and get a good night's rest? 
So the boy went back to his room and got into bed. It wasn't long before the little boy was back pushing and shoving his father. And his father opened his eyes and he had to, uh, he was first thinking about, um, you know, giving the, his son some harsh words. But then he saw the impression on his son's face. And the father asked, what's the matter now? And the boy said, Daddy, I just want to thank you for tomorrow. When you and I stop and think of where we were when the father found us, when we consider the means that he used to draw us to himself, when we think about what life would have been without him, we can't help but be moved to gratitude. And when we think about what is in store for everyone who believes, when we think about the glory of standing in the crowd in heaven to praise our glorious Lord, when we think about that day when we will no longer hurt, hunger, or thirst, when all dangers will be abolished, where the living water is our refreshment and all our tears are dried, and when Christ our shepherd will lead us, we too will find ourselves lifting palm branches to sing Hosanna. And every now and then, we'll find ourselves swept up in the wonder of anticipation. And we too will say, Father, I just want to thank you for tomorrow. Oh, I want to see him. Look upon his face, there to sing forever of his saving grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Cares all past, home at last, ever to rejoice. Amen. Thank you for joining us here at Hope and Faith Ministry, a broadcast of the historic People's Baptist Church in Boston. We pray that you have been touched and inspired by today's message. People's Baptist Church is a Christ-centered, caring church located at 134 Camden Street at the corner of Camden and Tremont Streets. Our Sunday services are at 10 a.m. You can reach us at 617-427-0424. Come visit us in person or on the web at www.pbcboston.org. And tune in every Saturday morning at 1030 for another inspiring message of hope and faith. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.